Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Pioneer Perspective. And we are finally back after a week off. Alex, say hi. Hello. And my name is Brad, and we're here. And I'm going to do something a little different this time around for this intro. Real quick, let's put the reminders in the beginning. <laughs> are you ready, Alex, to get this shit out of the way so we can leave? Yes. Now. All right. So, as always, we are the official podcast of the Playaway server. And we have another podcast as well you can help support. It is Pondering Popper. We also have social medias, but we'll actually do the social medias at the end. That makes more sense. We do have merch if you want to check that out on inkedgaming.com. And we even have Playaway merch as well if you want to, you know, help rep the server so you can get a nice playmat that Alex and I have that you might have seen us play with, being our wonderful art by Adriana Catani of him and I playing a nice game of Magic. He also did the art for Playaway. So we have a cool Playaway banner. We have a Playaway mouse pad with a logo on it. Check it out, Ink Gaming, in the description. You'll love it. And preemptively, I just want to say thank you so much every week for your support. We love you, and I'll tell you that again at the end of the show. Now, Alex, we are finally back, and we are going to get into some good stuff. We have a challenge to go over. We have magic. We saw things, and things happened while we were gone. I know that's fucking so horrible, of the magic community that's so rude yeah to not to not just take a week off while we were busy like well we were not even like busy we we're just f***ing around so much that our schedules didn't line up really yeah, not at all <laughs> and we we're like hey brad you got uh, uh, brad's like oh, i can record tonight it's like dude it's 2 a.m i need to go to bed <laughs> <laughs> if you want to record right now we can uh, i should have been in bed an hour ago i mean you know there's that brief moment in your head where you're like, I mean, I, I, you're looking at the time. You're like, I, I, I'll fall asleep at five. Like, I, I'm technically awake right now. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that kind of happened today too. It, it's, it's a little bit later for you right now. It's one in the morning for me. Yeah, Jesus Christ. And uh, hey, I did say like, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be really late. I've got a late start tomorrow. I'm fine. Let's just uh, get into this. I mean, we've already been here for like 45 minutes before we started recording. So, good job, us. Yeah. Um. I mean, let's just start off uh, start off going over the metagame thing because we haven't done that in a while. Um, so we're just going to start off by looking at a challenge. Now, we're looking at a challenge for the 8th of May. Uh, the one the day after didn't fire because it was uh, Mother's... Uh, but not nothing to be worried about. It was Mother's Day. I think there were like three moxes and an arena open going on or something. Yeah, it's like, okay, if th there's no reason to hit the panic button on this. This is the first challenge not firing since pre-inverter bans. So... Don't worry, we're doing great. It's fine. Um, we're going to go just over this challenge. I know we missed last week's challenges. I've looked at them. I've just quickly gone over the lists. There's not much that doesn't show up in this challenge. This challenge is actually a really nice representation of the metagame because basically every top deck shows up. A um, couple of exceptions. Um, there was a Jeskai control deck last week running cards like Rip Apart. That one was pretty cool. Um, I think there was no mono black in the challenge this time, but I might be wrong, which is actually one of the least played decks in the format right now, but it is still there. And I think mono green Stompy was played in that one that isn't played in this. And there was a Gruul Embercleave deck because someone signed up for the wrong event, I guess. <laughs> I mean, that is the top deck in Historic, so... But we can't use that excuse because Historic is only available on Arena, so it's not like they fired up a, you know, Pioneer Challenge on Arena, unless someone's really good at programming. I wish so. I wish so. I wish we could. 
But speaking of historic decks doing well in Pioneer events, Brad, who won the challenge? So uh, it was by Curtis Axel, and they just queued up with their uh, Selesnia uh, Coco deck. And if you are an historic player at all, you've noticed that this is one of the top decks in the historic meta. It's, I believe, the third most played deck right now. It's, it's a cool deck. It is the closest thing to a tax deck that we will have available in both Pioneer and Historic. And it's pretty straightforward. You have your elves. You have, you know, four uh, mystics, four Atlanta war elves. This runs a couple of scuses. Voice Resurgence is a big thing that's in the Pioneer version that's not available in Historic as a nice way to punish your opponent for doing things. And then the big thing that this deck plays is Archon of Ameria and Elite Spellbinder. Yeah. Strangely enough, Elite Spellbinder is actually the only Strixhaven card, I think, to show up in this deck. Um, now, I wasn't high on the card when I initially saw it in Strixhaven. I've seen some play with it. I'm still not super high on it. But... I mean, it's, it, it performs well in this deck. I've seen it do well in, like, Winoda shells in Standard 2. Um, so I guess it just serves in this deck as kind of like a good beat stick in your like dinky creature decks because it is three power and it is evasive it does die to like i don't know a hot fart but i guess that doesn't matter when most of your creatures are most of your important creatures are one toughness being your land of elves i mean the big thing about elite spellbinder is that it's uh it's taxing effect stays around even if it dies even if you kill it on the stack like of it entering so you're fine without dying that that's where the one toughness isn't that big of a deal and of course we have skyclave apparition in this deck as well it's just a great coco hit this deck just wants to be like hey you're not allowed to cast things at its normal cost and i get to kill those things as well also running voice of resurgence also a really annoying punisher card exactly yeah and like i said that one's not available in the historic version so someone looked at this looked at historic and they're like that's interesting and I mean, th we've seen this before historic. It's obviously shifting further away from being a kind of like pioneer format, which is good. I think that's a great thing uh, if uh, and when they bring pioneer onto the client, you want pioneer and historic to be vastly different because if they're similar, then you're just competing with yourselves. Right. So, but it looked like someone looked at the, uh, the list in historic and like, what can I add in pioneer? What is there to add? Well, you don't have two manathalia like historic does unfortunately, but you do have voice resurgence. Uh, it's got rest in peace in the board, which is also very nice. Yeah. Um, it's got one mana confluence to make its mana ever so slightly better, I suppose. Don't think that's the biggest thing they looked at, and it's like, wow, what an upgrade going into Pioneer. <laughs> um, especially because I consider it a little bit of a downgrade because you're losing Thalia, arguably one of the better cards in the deck. Um, but overall, it's it's basically the same deck. Which is actually kind of funny, because as you said, how different Historic is becoming. You know, you're seeing all, like, weird Mizzix Mastery-style decks. It, that, that way, it's kind of funny to see a very similar deck work in two completely different metagames. Now, I'm saying completely different, because we are... One of the biggest decks in this format is Niftalite, which is another, like, really big game-changing spells-casting deck. And in Historic, we've got things like the Mizzix's Mastery Taken Turns deck type of thing with the uh, Salter Ultimatum. So maybe they're just attacking from the same angle. 
or it's just because it's a deck full of efficient, annoying, taxing beatdown creatures, and it just stumbles its way to the finish, kind of no matter what its opponent is doing. If we were to look at the uh, the meta game right now for Pioneer, because let me just ask you this straightforward. Uh, do you think that this Selesnya deck, because if you look back at the last few weeks, of like since Strixhaven has officially been out and available on Moto, we have seen this deck pop up a little bit here, a little bit there, and now this is its first actual win in a big tournament. Do you think this deck has a place and can stick around in Pioneer? And if you do, what like what keeps this deck around? Like what does this deck feast on? Like Niv is a big one, right? But what else? I mean, Archon of Emeria is great against uh, Phoenix, which is another really big deck. Um, it can even be it it has elements against um control especially the um the magma opus decks that we've been seeing i've been playing it too i've been loving it um demir control like traditional demir control is a bit less vulnerable to this card but if you um i think if you play this and like you can hit a shark typhoon which means it i believe it can no longer be cycled because that one goes straight to exile uh which kind of defeats the purpose of the card because it comes an eight mana enchantment which almost means you just discarded it from their hand um if they're heavily relying on the magma opus uh torrential gear hulk sort of like one two and you turn the hulk into an eight mana card that significantly slows them down uh if they don't draw another copy of torrential gear hulk uh, against Burn, I mean, it's just a creature-based deck, which is also an annoying thing for Burn to deal with. And once it gets a Grey Change down, I don't think Burn ever beats this. Like, if there's a Lustruck Beast on the field, and they play a Great Henge, and they have even a reasonable life total, they'll gain to a turn. They've got Scavenging Ooze in addition to it. I don't think, I don't think you win that game at that point. So it's good against Niv. Well, at least this is the type of deck that I don't think is, like, truly great against something. It's kind of like the thing that Junt does in Modern when it's good, or, well, when it was good, I guess, where it's, like, 52% in every matchup, and therefore is a good deck. It's, it's a deck, to me, that looks like it has no true awful matchups, and it has no true amazing matchups. Because um, Archon of Emeria is very good against Burn, and very good against Lotus Combo. Uh, sorry, uh, it's pretty good against Burn, actually. It's good against Phoenix, and it's good against Lotus Combo. But obviously, it's a 3-drop that has its main value when you play it on turn 2. So you need to go, like, Llanowar Elf into Archon. But, like, how often does that happen? And in the games where it doesn't happen, it's... You, you get it later, you're, you're stumbling your way to victory a little bit. It, it's a hard deck to evaluate because I haven't played against it. But historically, decks like these think of like Bant Value Town in Modern that we saw in like 2017 or something. Like those decks that are just okay against everything. So in that way, I think it's here to stay, but I don't think it'll ever be like the top deck in the meta. Because funnily enough, I feel like the worst matchups for decks like these are just fair decks, just creature beatdown decks like Mono Green Stompy where they don't really care about your taxing effects, and their creatures are just a little bit bigger. Or maybe we're going to see slightly bigger mono-red with things like Goblin Chain Whirler. That would be really hard to deal with with this deck. 
So if this deck is the top deck, you're going to see an incredibly fair meta for about two weeks, and then this deck's gone again. I think it's fair. I, I, I like this deck a lot. I actually am like, I'm pretty excited to like try it out and play it. Though it's a type of creature deck I enjoy playing. Yeah. Because every creature has like a spell attached to it because of how much they all do. I mean, Spellbinder, as much as... Much as yeah, Okoko is fantastic. It's one of my favorite cards. Uh, as much as I like said that Elite Spellbinder wasn't like my favorite card in the Strixhaven spoilers, it does look like a really cool card to play with. And I'm happy for Paolo that his card's seen play. I mean, you were telling, we were talking about this before the, uh, the cast started. I'm interested in Bant with this, because I, I think Reflector Mage is, is an uh, underappreciated uh, card that I think could see play. Um, and that this seems like the right deck for Reflector Mage to be in. Just an extra little hit. I'd be more interested in Black. For... Just put in Kitesil Freebooter and Wasteland Strangler. And you could do Silver Coil Silencer as well. Just because why not? True. Well, I, I really like the one-two between... Um... Kitesil Freebooter slash uh, Paolo's card, uh, Elite Spellbinder, and then Wasteland Stranger, and putting the Exiled card into the graveyard, which means they can't cast it, and now you're killing their creature with the Wasteland Strangler. I always love that synergy, especially because then you can, like, if you have a Kitesil Freebooter, and then you can blink your Kitesil Freebooter because the card is now gone. Maybe you start doing, maybe you're starting to build, like, Black White slash Abzan Eldrazi in Texas, like you've got in uh, in Modern, which has actually been doing quite well as a deck too. I would, yeah. I'd be more interested in that than Reflector Mage. Not saying it's good. I think it's probably better in this shape because it's just cleaner, right? I think what we're doing is adding unnecessary colors to do cute things. Probably not actually making a deck any better. I don't know. Reflector Mage is so good. <laughs> it just it just it's a card that feels good when you like get it on something. You're like, yeah, get that shit out of here. <laughs> But off you go. Speaking of new decks, this is not the only new deck that's, you know, arised since, uh, you know, Strixhaven's release, right? There are some other ones. One big one, like you mentioned earlier, is there's... It's hard to say that this is a definitive new deck. It's just a more so a lot of decks like, I'm going to try this. It's the Magma Opus Torrential Gearhulk plan, which we've seen Demir very, very lightly splash red to make it happen, which you don't even need to splash res te technically. Actually, I'm not even going to call it hot. It's warm Demir. Like, it just it doesn't even deserve to be called hot because I'm baffled by these decks. So, you imagine, it's, we've seen Demir control around for a while and that deck actually run, that deck run a fair amount of Torrential Gearhawk already. Two, sometimes three, sometimes an extra one on the board. Um, and they kind of just incorporated this like uh, magma opus plan quite easily. Um, actually, most of them haven't, but some of them have. And in order to occasionally actually cast their magma opus for eight mana to have like that option, they put two pathways in the deck. Good enough. Like they put a a river glide pathway and a blight step pathway in the deck, which baffles me because they're they are decks with four fabled passage in them. Like, just put one mountain in your deck or something, right? Like, I'm I'm really surprised that they go so light on the red, which effectively means they're never hardcasting Magma Opus. They, they can, but it's like token they can. They, they can do it once every 15 times that they want to. At least that's my experience doing splashes that are like this meaningless. Um, 
You could even just put like, why aren't these like a Dragon Skull Summit and a Sulfur Falls? Like, there's enough swamps and islands in the deck to even make those cards work. Probably because the they like the pathways more. I mean, I don't know. The pathways feel like nicer because they always come in untapped, right? I mean, yeah, because you can effectively treat it like these are just an island and a swamp until they're not, which is which is nice. But I I feel like it's a little bit too light. I mean, imagine this if we got uh, Grixis Triome. How easy that would be. Just put two of those in your deck instead of your Fetid Pools. But then that that cycles for three and not two. Uh, you're losing value there, Alex. That doesn't matter. That truly doesn't matter. <laughs> I only cycle a Fetid Pools when I already have seven lands, right? <laughs> it really doesn't matter. Uh, I am... No, so we play very differently because I'll have... I'll be playing Demir. I'll have three lands in play. I'll be holding on to a Counterspell and a Fetid Pools in hand, be my only other hand, land in hand. My fourth, I'll be like, I'm going to cycle Fetipools. <laughs> and then you draw two spells and you're like, shit. <laughs> yeah, I am so greedy when it comes to cycles. I'm like, yeah, yeah, we're getting value out of this card now. <laughs> we're turning this card into a two mana draw one value. <laughs> I, I'm basically like looking at it. I'm like, yeah, but the cycle could be anything. It could be an untapped land. What do I want? Two mana draw or rampant growth? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But of course, uh, there's some other colors trying that as well. The other one is uh, Teamer, which I've actually been playtesting my own personal uh, brew for Teamer uh, with, you know, the Magma Opus and um, T-Hulk. I'm running four Nightpack Ambusher. That card is so, so good. I love that card so much. It's one of my favorite cards ever made. It's so much fun to resolve. It's so much fun to just be like, are you going to kill it? No, I get a dog. <laughs> it's, it's a wolf, but they're, they're, they're the goodest of boys. And I love it so much. And um, yeah, it's, it's super fun. Really kind of hard to figure that one out. Demir is easy because you're like, I just throw Magma Opus in, call it a day because the shell's already there. Teamer, you're like, do I run Bone Crusher? Do I run Brazen Borrower? Do I not run that? Do I go all in on Flash and run like, uh, what's the, the four mana one that's double of uh, Simic? Uh, Throat Mystic. Yeah, do I, run, do I run that? Do you run that? The answer is no. <laughs> uh, and then we've also seen this has only been like three total decks actually let me tell you it, the, i don't even know if it pops up on the meta page is how little i've seen this one but i've seen it it's uh jeskai control and the answer to your uh to that question that i've uh, just proposed to myself is there's been four total uh of these four total so it's 0.7 uh 0.7 of the entire meta is this uh, these Esper decks? I'm sorry, I'm Jess guy. So I was talking about this uh, on our Discord the other day, and I've I've seen some talk like going around on Reddit and stuff where a lot of people feel like Magma Opus is a trap, and they're saying like Magma Opus is not as good as people think it is. And now I will say when I initially saw Magma Opus, I definitely underrated it. Uh, I can agree that it's probably a little bit overrated now, and it mainly has to do with the fact that I feel like if your deck was a good Torrential Gearhawk deck, it is a good Magma Opus deck. If you were playing a deck like Blue-White Control, that just didn't run Torrential Gearhawk, then you shouldn't run... You shouldn't put both Gearhawk and Magma Opus in your deck. It's like adding too much to your deck. Whereas, because sometimes these, deck, these decks generally weren't dig-through-time decks either. 
or weren't dig through time instant speed decks as much as the Demir decks were. And then I feel like you're adding, you're taking too big of a package to add to your deck. Whereas it's not really a package if you're just adding Magma Opus and it's a better include. And I feel like that's generally the better way to go about it. The exception to this is probably Teamer, mostly because Teamer just didn't really exist before this. So sure, Teamer is a deck that now incorporates both, but that's just because we didn't have a Teamer deck. Yeah. And I've been noticing... Like in playing with Teamer, uh, by the way, the Niv matchup is so miserable, which we'll get to Niv in a little bit. But the thing with Teamer is like, I've been treating Magma Opus not as like the T Hulk plan, but more so like this is Growth Spiral five through eight, where I can ramp into T Hulk. And like, if I hit the Magma Opus, that's really cool. If I just hit a Sinister Sabotage along the way, I'm also happy with that. I'm really just like the deck is trying to win with Nightpack Ambusher and just controlling the board. I've actually just been hard casting a lot of Magma Opuses straight up. I have a few times too, yeah. Like that, that's why I'm so surprised by these decks that splash so little red. It's like, man, you guys are hard casting this thing way less often than I am. Maybe just because I'm unlucky, because I tend to draw three Magma Opuses before I draw my first Hulk. So I just discard two and then cast the third. But like, I've been hard casting. Obviously, that's also a way to cast one, which is, you know, why even though they run two lands, there's definitely a way to cast it because they'll probably have... It's fairly likely they've got a treasure lying around. I still feel like you should just lean into the red a little bit harder. Now, I'm also running, like, Nicobola, so I need more red. Um, But even then, I generally play, like... I've actually been treated the other way around. Where now I can play my pathways. Just I play more pathways than they do. I think I'm playing like four. Um, very deliberately just putting them on the non-red side. And even when I want to cast a Bolas, I'll just use the treasure. right? And that's my red. And once I get to like five or six lands, I'll be like, yeah, this, this Fabled Passage will find me a mountain. And then you're just set for the whole game. Speaking of treasure tokens, I want to just tell you real quick. So you've, you've watched the Yu-Gi-Oh! anime, right? A bit of it, yeah. Okay, so you know the cards that they get as like prize cards in the Duelist Kingdom uh, saga with like Pegasus? Yeah, yeah, the puzzle pieces. Yeah, like the first one you get is the set sail for Kingdom. That's like your invite to the island. Then you get the actual... Oh, that one, the stars on your uh, on the glove thing. Well, no, you. it's like you actually get like a card in like in the like when they got like uh, the um, reveal of like, I have your grandpa, like <laughs> that thing. But like there's also like a, there's three cards. So I'll send you the, the pictures of them. There's set sail for the kingdom, duelist kingdom, and then glory of the king's hand. Glory of the king's hand is the one that you get when you win, which is like you can wish for anything you want and I'll give it to you. Glory of the king's hand I have in paper. Because you can get these. So that is my treasure token. That's a really good treasure. I like that a lot. That's really good. I Because I, I was like, I was playing my, my playtesting on, uh, on Teamer. And I was like, F- where are my treasure tokens? I know I have a bunch of them. I can't find any. And I'm looking through like my, my bag, like at the table. I didn't feel like going back in my room. And I saw those. And I was like, oh boy, this is way better than anything I could be using. <laughs> so now, now I got that. Um, but like, I, I think Magma Opus to kind of roll back is like, it's a little bit of a trap. If you're 
solely playing the deck to do the T-Hulk Magmobus thing, it's not a finisher, if, if that makes sense. Like, it's like it can finish games, and you can be in a position where, like, you, you T-Hulk, you, I think you it deal is. four. It's just more vulnerable. It's If you lean into it too hard, it's something that gets slightly vulnerable, because T-Hulk is quite a vulnerable card, which is weird to say, but it's it's blue, so you can just mystical dispute it. Um, and what we've seen these decks do is cut other win conditions, right? They're like trimming on copies of Shark Typhoon. Uh, we pretty much see no one runs like like a Jace Fringe Prodigy in the side anymore or something. That's like an alternate win condition. Because it takes up, like, as a control deck, dedicating eight cards to kind of like being like win cons to some degree. Uh, because... Even though it obviously draws you two cards, it's not a great card advantage card. Because straight up drawing two is not that good. Especially in the later game. Like, you're very often going to draw, like, a land and a spell. And that's not a great way to refuel, right? You can hardly treat it as a draw spell. It's just it would be unplayable if it actually didn't draw you any cards. But in that way, dedicating eight cards to being, like, your win condition kind of fills up your slots, in a control deck, you're going to run, like, two or three additional cards. Um, so a lot of these decks have gone, like, four Hulk, four Opus. Uh, I've been playing with that, too, for the past, like, couple days. Um, I think last week's the first time I put in, like, the fourth one. I tweeted about it. I can imagine, and we've seen some of the decks already do that, the best is going to be, like, two Hulk, three Opus, or three, three Hulk, two Opus. And it's going to be just... A part of your deck at the moment it is the deck and that's why we're also seeing control decks running stuff like test of talent it's like oh if your only way to win is a five six beat stick and magma opus if i just test of talent your magma opus you've got four five sixes in your deck and that's all i have to deal with and that makes it really hard for you to actually win that's why I like the teamer builds though, so far. Um, it's probably my favorite way to do the Magma Opus thing because Nightpack Ambusher has been above and beyond my expectations in, in terms of its performance. It's just been so good. It's it's a 4-4, four, four, so it, it gets around a lot of the removal base or the damage-based removal spells that Red has access to. Um, it's not pushable unless you revolt it. Um, it does die to Vanishing Verse, unfortunately, and, and like stuff like that. And you can straight up murder Shride or whatever. But I've been finding that there's like less and less just hard black removal to deal with in the format overall at instant speed, unless you're going against Niv or Demir. Like you said, Mono Black has fallen off quite a bit. Vampires has fallen off quite a bit. Um, and it's just, and the other stuff is like, sorcery speed removal and you're kind of like okay cool if you remove my wolf on your turn with things like dreadbore for example i've already gotten wolf out of it blood chief thirst yeah that too um i've gotten wolf out of it most likely right because i flash it on your turn moved my end step cool and at that point i also have a way to protect my wolf i have counter spells and things like that so sorcery speed removal which has been a lot higher uh, lately. I think it's just, it's not that good. So that card's been really nice, and it's not like the whole all-in, I'm only winning 
with T-Hulk Magma Opus. I had someone uh, slaughter games my uh, Magma Opus. And I was like, okay, cool. I now have Wolf. <laughs> it's like yeah and, and and then obviously you've also you've got your wolves on top of your five sixes and uh, because still like torrential gearhawk will still be flashing back things like dig through time right so it's still going to be good but it's it's hard if it becomes your only win condition or one of the few win conditions because shark typhoon is a great card but shark typhoon is not a great win condition if you know what I mean? Like, it, it it's good. Once you get the hard cast your Shark Typhoon, the game ends relatively quickly. But, you know, some people treat it as like an uncounterable win condition or something. It's like, yeah, but it's it's a pushable win condition. Which is not a thing you want in your control deck. A pushable win con. It feels so bad if... if <laughs> I have a 10-10 Shark. I have a one pushy boy. I mean, I've I've played games against blue-white control where I didn't know I was playing against blue-white and I kept a hand that had like three fatal push. And I was like, oh, this hand's great. And then my opponent goes like irrigated farmland pass and you're like, oh no, what have I done? And I actually end the game with no fatal pushes in hand because I've just been killing their sharks. And in that way... If your win conditions are like only Shark Typhoon, Magma Opus, and Torrential Gearhawk, and especially because Shark Typhoon is probably like the more subtle one, obviously just the the more solid win condition if you go late, um, it does get dicey when you trim those. I know it's a little bit double because like Shark Typhoon isn't a great win condition, but obviously when you have a lot of Shark Typhoons in your deck, there's a higher chance one will eventually be hardcast. But if you run only a couple of Shark Typhoons, you might be cycling them early because your other win condition is six or eight mana. And you just need stuff to do early. I've been noticing, I've been cycling quite some Shark Typhoons for literally just two two mana, just for zero. Which I learned triggers Revolt. Oh, yeah, because it, it makes a zero zero. Which I completely didn't think about. Because I always cycle it away, like, oh, I don't get a token. It's like, yeah, you do. It just immediately dies, which is a big difference. Also a very nice upside of Magma Opus, because you get the treasure. So very often, like, this, I've effectively turned, like, my Fatal Push into a murder, which I know it's inefficient because you're, like, discarding the Magma Opus, but the fact that you can is really nice. Right? Getting Revolt in matchups like Niv to just get rid of their uh, Atrioses or Omnaths or other things and actually getting better value out of your Fatal Push is just really sweet upside. So... Moving away from the uh, the Magmobus thing, you and I basically are kind of in agreement where like it's uh, it's a good combo, but should not be the main focus of your deck. And I could also agree with you where we could see the two three split or two two split or whatever down the road being the correct one, or maybe three three. But like this deck is clearly in like the sort of like infancy stage where people just run, they just go all in. Right? They're just, just let's see how far this goes. Because I was playing it as two, three, and I was like, I want more, more, more. But maybe four and four is a step too far. But that's just a matter of finding it out. I do three and four. I do three Hulk, four Opus. Because again, I'm looking at Opus as like, it's ramp. So I don't mind drawing the multiples early. Hulk, on the other hand, I do mind drawing the multiples early. So I drop down to three on that. Um, but there are other decks that have been popping up more and more. Uh, the next one, actually, I'll, I'll just go with the next real new one, um, thanks to uh, Silver Quill and uh, things like that, or the Silver Quill College from Shirkshaven. 
It's uh, the resurgence of Orzov humans. Silverquill Silencer, as well as, um, you know, co- uh, comboing with, uh, what's it called? Uh, kite Sail Freebooter, things like that, is, uh, you know, turns out it's pretty good. Also, you have access to Vanish Reverse in there. You have uh, the Silver Quill Command if you want to do that, uh, if you don't want to play as a Lurus deck. And that also does run Rally of Ranks from Kaladheim, which you can bring that back with uh, Lurus if you decide to go the Lurus route. So that's cool, too. Cool deck. I like it a lot. Uh, you played humans far more than I have. Do you like this uh, evolution of the deck away from what it was before? It was just like, all these 1-1s. One uh, versus now it's just like some two mana stuff. It's still it's still all these one ones, really. Um the main thing you got rid of is General Kudro, cause and this is probably like entirely correct. And people are like General Kudro is not better than having Lurus as a companion. Right? And people were probably right about that. And they're now running a combination of Kaizo Freebooter and Silvergirl Silencer, which we did discuss in our top five. Like, isn't this just like a cute meddling mage impression? Which I initially thought like, yeah, but it's not, it's not that good. And it turns out, at least the results show that it is actually, well, not still not that good, but it's good enough. Right, we're playing a lower power format, so we can have a lower power of meddling mage, and it could still be good. Um, it has the, I mean, the deck has changed. It used to be effectively mono white splashing black. Now it's just a straight up Orzhov deck. You know, we're also seeing it run cards like Bloodsoak Champion, um, and maybe it's just like that Silver Quill Silencer has like enabled. It's almost maybe more that it enabled Kitesil Freebooter. Right, it made Kitesil Freebooter a, be- a better card. And Kitesil Freebooter is actually a really good card uh, in the right when you time it right. Which, again, with Niv being one of the more played decks in the format, and this deck, I can tell you, is fast. Oh, also, it cut Loxodon. That's the other card cut, uh, Venerated Loxodon, which is fine because you were often tapping creatures that could attack. So you were actually missing out on damage. So it's not the biggest problem to cut that card either um because this deck can be like really 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 quick and just buying yourself a turn with a kitesil freebooter could honestly be enough in a niv style matchup uh also obviously running soldier of the pantheon which is protection for multicolored which is hilarious against niv because it it dodges basically everything except the sweepers they occasionally tutor up um also a fun one because a an um a sweeper day that has seen like a fair amount of play in some of these decks is extinction event this deck is really good against extinction event because it runs a lot of one drops but a lot of its scarier cards are two drops but if you say even you're going to be left with eight power worth of one drops but if you're going to play it on odd you're going to be left looking at like a kite soul freebooter and it's still holding one of your cards and a thalia's lieutenant that might be a five five at this point but yeah to like um you know get to a conclusion already uh i like this deck um it's a nice iteration there's just one thing that really bugs me about this deck and it's that it runs four mutavolt which seems really weird in a deck that literally runs eight cards so two play sets of cards that have colorless mana symbols in them Everything else is either white, black, or white and black. Oh, and there's ready to dying, so there's twelve, I guess. 
But I could just imagine you've got this opening hand, and look at like a godless shrine and a muda vault, and you've just got Bloodsoak Champion, Dauntless Bodyguard, Giant Killer, Kithian, Maruo Reaper in your hand, and you're like, man, my hand could be empty by turn two. Now it's going to be turn four. The one counter I have to that is, didn't the old version of uh, humans play a bit lower land count? This is at 24. The one I see here is a 22 land. Oh, okay, I'm looking at a 24. This is from the May 1st challenge. Oh yeah, that was a 24 one. By now, I've seen the... Uh, but that one was also the Silver Quill Command deck. So that one was a little bit slower. The one in the challenge this time, ending in 23rd. Um... Also cut the Silver Crow Command. Mm -hmm. um, went down to 22 lands. Uh, yeah. And then still ran the Formula Vault. It seems a little dodgy to me. Now, I know the deck doesn't run any swamps. But even then, I'm like, if you run Formula Vault, would you be interested in an Urborg? Maybe, yeah. Maybe instead of that unclaimed territory? Yeah, potentially. Or even just like, I see the value in, like, some Muda Vault. I just don't know if 4 is just being too greedy. Because I think this deck, this deck isn't relying on its ability to grind you into the late game. This deck is reliant on, like, Kaizo Freebooter takes a key card and now you're dead. At least that's how, like, the old version played. It just played 1 mana for 2 power creatures, and it turned them sideways, and 4 turns later your opponent dropped. And now the deck no longer does that, and it seems to be a little bit more set up for the late game. You know, Silver Call Silencer can draw you a card, Blood Soak Champion can get itself back with Raid, it's got some Muda Vault, but like, we're looking at a format with decks like Junt Food, which has gone like all on the value train, which I suppose will be the next deck we can talk about. Um, so Junt Food, uh, Niv to Light, Rakdos Pyromancer, um like uh, Magma Opus control decks. And it's like, if you go to the late game as Orzov versus any of these decks, you're going to get your ass handed to you. Yeah, I agree. But I guess speaking of uh, Jund, a little while ago, right after the bans of Uro and all that, we saw, and we even talked about it on the cast, Jund Citadel pop up. We're like, is this the new best deck? And we were actually leaning towards it might really be. Now, that has shifted to Jund Sacrifice, or Jund Food. You know, playing more Cat Oven, some Bone Crusher Giants, not playing Citadels in the main, but in the side for a way to, like, kind of, I guess, uh, approach those grindier matchups, or... I, well, actually, what would you bring in the Citadels in the side for? Um, Lotus? Matchups where you want to be racing. That makes sense. I think the matchups where you race, but I'm still a little bit surprised because some of these run Bolas of Citadel, but they do they still run Catacomb Sifter? No, no. So they and, and they don't run Catacomb Sifter. They don't run uh, what's the two mana Drainy dude? Um, oh, um, Zulipor Cutthroat. So they don't run any of the cards that actually turn your Citadel into like a combo win. So that surprised me a little bit, but I guess it's just the ones where, like, my life total really doesn't matter, and I am just racing you. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where Bolas' Citadel probably comes in. Makes sense. Or people just can't let it go. That's a thing that <laughs> happens in decks sometimes. Like, yeah, but sometimes I wish I was Citadel. And then you end up putting two in the board, and you just never really board them in. 
They're pretty. But I mean, Corvault is actual ass against Lotus because it takes way too long for that car to start doing things. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. But I mean, I personally, I recently got the core. So I got my cat oven. I got my trail of crumbs, things like that. I have my Corvold. So I have all the cards to shift into this version. And I've been playing both. Um, I still really like the Citadel version more. Another notable absentee of uh, this version is there's no Coco in this version. Citadel runs Coco. And that, like, I know it's more combo-y centric and it's more reliant on Citadel itself. I mean, that's the whole point of the deck. But I like it quite a bit more. Also, um, <laughs> remember when we would play and I've been using the Scarab tokens instead of the uh, the Eldrazi Scion tokens? Um the downside to that because i actually found two of them in my bulk the other day so i now have those in the deck so i actually have the legitimate tokens i totally forgot that you could sacrifice them for mana and i was like wow that that would help me quite a few times in certain matchups or certain positions if reading a card explains the card was a person it would be brad yeah i i, I just glance over stuff so often i'm like yeah this is the good part i care about the double scry aspect with the uh, co comboing with woe strider i mean when <laughs> When we um, when we play tested the deck together, we played against my deck. I was almost playing the deck for you, and I was like, "Brad, you can get a mana for that." Brad, I should lose another life here. And you're like, "Oh yes." <laughs> I've gotten a lot better at like tracking like life and shit like that for the the damage with this deck. But back to the food version. This deck, I'm convinced, is around because Niv is now again the top deck in the format. Which when Citadel was the bigger deck and was actually quote unquote the top deck in pioneer for like three weeks niv was falling off by the wayside because a lot of people were buying into my idea of niv not being that good without three fairy and an arrow and it took them a while to figure out in deck build properly to like just it accept like hey you kind of just straight up lose to hard counters now that teferi's gone but against everything else yeah we're gonna shit on you I'm going to top deck a Niv and you're going to like it. So, <laughs> but the problem is top deck a Niv against Jun Food, you get all those removal spells, you get your Vanishing Verse, you get your Dreadboard, you get you get Assassin's Trophy, your Abrupt Decay, you get all that good stuff. You're going to target my cat? Yeah? <laughs> I'm going to shove that bitch in an oven and it's going to come right back. We're going to do it again. I mean, I just like... I just like the idea of having a Corvold on the field. Your opponent resolves a Niv and you find an Abrupt Decay and a Vanishing Verse. You're just like, ha! You wish one of those was a Dreadboard, didn't you? <laughs> That's why uh, Sean B., one of the uh, guys in the uh, Playaway server, he's been playing uh, Niv, and I've been getting all of my playtesting against Niv in games against him. He plays uh, Abrupt... I'm sorry, he plays Assassin's Trophy instead of Abrupt Decay. And I'm like, honestly... I kind of agree with you. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he still runs some Dreadbore, like one or something. He still runs a Dreadbore. He does. Yeah, he does. And Vanishing Verse. He runs two Vanishing Verse instead of like the three or four that we've seen in some lists. But yeah, this... Uh, what do you think about Junfu? Like, do you think this is because Niv? Like, uh, am, I, am I overplaying the importance of the Niv matchup? I know you've mentioned before, and you'll probably mention again, Yasharn, but... Yeah, I think the Citadel one is just better against niv right 
because I still think if your opponent resolves a Niftalite, you're like, yeah, just wait until I sacrificed five food to this trail of crumbs. It's like, I don't know if you're going to be that happy about that, are you? <laughs> so it, I don't know if I, I, I could still imagine the idea, like the core of the deck is probably very good against Niv. Um, but I almost feel like, isn't a Junt, like the sort of like food grindier version, not just because it's both good against Niv, but also good against other decks. If I think if I'd go into a tournament just targeting Niv, I would probably just play Citadel. Because then it's like, I'll play a Niv. It's like, cool, I'll cast a Citadel and you're dead. And this deck doesn't do that anymore. Again, because you're you've totally there's a citadel on the sideboard, but like who cares? You're you're totally not doing what the citadel deck did, which was just go through its entire deck uh, in one turn, basically, and by the end of it, you're dead. And it it doesn't do that anymore. So I'd say it maybe has to do with other decks. I can imagine this deck being horrible to play against when you're playing like the um, Celestia historic deck we were talking about i can imagine this deck is i mean literally any creature deck is gonna have a terrible time against mayhem devil um so that deck's probably gonna have a very bad time so i can imagine it's much better against that but so so uh, it's probably in a similar vein as the blue uh the historic deck i just mentioned where like if you build it like junt food it probably doesn't have many bad matchups but it has as opposed to the celestia deck this has some matchups that are actually great like any creature deck ever is just going to get manhandled by this deck already just the interaction of going to block your creature and then before damage sack my cat that's going to buy you like 15 life against your average aggro deck yeah that's true we haven't seen quite a bit of a downshift in aggro in general. Like, Boros Burn is still towards the top of the page, but that's just because it's Boros Burn. Um, but, like, Boros Aggro is pretty far down. Mono Black Aggro is pretty far down. We've seen Spirits. Spirits is coming back up again. It used to be just Draft, who was making sure that it was still on the meta page. It seems some people have actually joined Draft. Um, we're seeing the... Ors of Humans. Uh, mono Green Stompy is now the most popular Mono Green deck. Which just makes me happy. Splashing Blue for the sideboard. Sometimes. Also, uh, some. Okay, look. Go click on Mono Green. And you have their sideboard. They're even starting to creep into the main deck. Running Decisive Denial. One of my honorable mentions. Yeah! Ooh. Oh, shut up. <laughs> I, I like this card a lot. <laughs> Uh, stubborn denial is cute. Um, yeah, I, I now, decisive denial is cute in this deck. This is probably like the one deck where it's actually not bad. Not in your body of research deck, Brad. Go away. This is where you actually play this deck. But, but I can make the big fractal and make it fight something. It's like which deck would want both prey upon and spell pierce? Well, it's probably this deck. Yeah, this is actually a really nice home for it. I'll be honest. But um. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, they're they're, I guess it's just shifted into a different type of aggro, right? It's just more so creature heavy aggro and a little bit less uh, like I kill you on turn 
two or three, basically. Well, it's it's less burn. We've still got burn, mm-hmm. but playing against burn-based aggro and playing against creature-based aggro is just a totally different like world, right? Because if you're playing against a creature-based aggro deck and you're on five life, you're like, yeah, I'm good. You're against a burn deck and you're on five life, it's like, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. Like every time they go and draw a card. One thing that's interesting too is the uh, the absence of fires. Um, it's there, five color control, which I, why do they still fucking call it that on goldfish? It's four color fires um, and enigmatic fires, which has popped up more. Um, they're both at 1.8. 10 copies each in the last 30 days. But there's also one more new deck I want to talk about, I guess, before we look at some old decks. That's Lotus Turns, your favorite new deck that's popped up thanks to Strixhaven, which (sighs) actually does even run any Strixhaven cards. I don't think it does. No, it just, you know, just just like how a Lotus Turn takes approximately five years, it just took them approximately five years to figure out what list they actually wanted to play. So they're like, wow, guys, we finally figured out what to do with this Coldheim card. And everyone's playing like strict saving cards. And they're like, what are you, what? So Alex, because you love the deck so much, would you like to uh, go over what it does? What makes this, what makes this Lotus version different than the traditional one we've seen? For the people who've been playing standard and historic, they are probably very happy to hear that once, you know, maybe they've gotten in paper but no worries, your emergent ultimatum now has a home in Pioneer 2. I have foils. Everyone rejoice as we have to see this card more often. Um, I mean, it's, it's not that bad. But what it tries to do as my goldfish crashes, so I'm just going to very quickly, I mean, peer into the abyss. There you go. That immediately gets you to the deck. Um, so what it tries to do is it plays Lotus Field, obviously. And this time it does it with... Um, it can do with things like uh, Discontinuity to maybe cancel the trigger, which means you actually just get to keep all your lands. Um, or they just they play the tri- traditionally. They do actually sack two lands. They go for like the Hidden Strings plan. There's, there's two ways to go about it. We've seen it without Hidden Strings, which is kind of a new way to do it, and you really just treat Discontinuity as a ramp spell. Or you go with the more old-school style hidden strings, make a lot of mana. We all know generally what Lotus Field does. And it plays Emergent Ultimatum. And it finds a couple of different multi uh, monocolored cards. Um, biggest one, well, one of the big ones is Omniscience. And it's like, would you like me to instantly win the game? No. So you're going to give me the other two. Which is generally going to be um, Turn Spells. So we're talking like Part the Water Veil, Auron's Epiphany. Uh, it can also get Solve the Equation, which means they get an extra turn and they just go and get another Emergence Ultimatum to do the exact same thing again. It can make you get... Uh, like, the piles this deck makes is just disgusting, right? It goes Emergence Ultimatum and it says, like, I would like to have Omniscience, Peer into the Abyss, or a Turn Spell. Um, next game, right? Because <laughs> it feels like... But the problem with this deck is, that you already alluded to, that I hate this deck. and I hate it for the same reason that I hate Lotus in its current form. And I almost liked it more 
when it had um, Underworld Breach, just win the damn game already. Like it takes so long for this deck to win. It it, it feels like Nexus all over again, where your opponent is spinning their wheels for approximately fifteen minutes. And you just have to sit there because you've got them dead on board and they might actually pass back to you. And that is the awful thing about playing against this deck. I think it's it's like it's probably really hard to pilot. Um it's it's an interesting build, right? The emergent ultimatum. I mean, some cards I'm naming like omissions, bear into the abyss, they're not even in some of these decks. Right? So the Lotus players have decided that Emergent Ultimatum is probably the best thing to do. And now the next question is, what the hell do we actually grab with it? Some grab turn spells, some don't. Some grab omniscience, some don't. Some draw 95% of their library, and others are like, now nah, I'll just take three extra turns instead, right? But at the end of the day, it either means that it's an interesting deck building question, or it just doesn't matter. Because you play an Emergent Ultimatum and the game is probably over at that point. Yeah, even if you grab three extra turn spells, you still have, you know, Teferi Hero of Dominaria in the deck and you're like, we're going back to standard, baby. I'm going to ultimate Teferi thanks to all these extra turns and I'm just going to keep getting extra turns and you're going to cry as I exile your entire mana base. I am really surprised that these decks, generally the turn ones, run two turn spells. Mm-hmm. It's like there there is the the delve one, right? Yeah, I was thinking like I'm very surprised that none of these decks run temporal trespass. There's also uh there's also Karn's temporal uh sundering as well. It's another one. So there's uh yeah, but you need a legendary on the field. It's a legendary sorcery. Yeah, yeah, if 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 you have to fairy on field, then that's why it's a, it could be a one of. Um or you just kind of change up the deck a teeny bit to make it work, but yeah. I mean, then I just run temporal trespass at that point. But like it's clearly not like the historic ones that got access to time walk. But they don't have part of Waterville, so I guess they're at the same number of time walk spells. Um, but as usual, Lotus lists baffle the mind. And only Lotus players understand these lists. And they look at it and say, like, yeah, no, this makes sense. And everyone else looks at these lists and they're like, what were you thinking when you built this? <laughs> it's like, I want to take all the extra turns, but I'm not really worried about how I win. Because... The real way I win is my opponent seeing four extra turns on the on the uh, stack, and they're like, "Ah, uh, game two. And they just concede. Yeah, and you're like, "I was I was gonna not do anything those four turns." <laughs> I do find the emergent ultimatum like the flavor is really bad. Yeah, you have the the two the two big boys, the two big boys, like the biggest of big boys. And first of all, they have to be colored, so they actually can't grab the biggest boys because they can't grab Eldrazi. But I guess that's okay. Uh, imagine you play this in modern and you just grab all three Eldrazi Titans. <laughs> um, yeah, that sounds horrible. But um, it's just like kind of have Ulamog 1, Ulamog 2, or an Emrakul. Um, but anyway, but you've got these two giant beasts emerging, but you can grab cards that aren't creatures. And it turns out, except if you're called Vorinclax, that is the best thing is to grab things that aren't creatures. And it's just like, 
if you play any Merchant Ultimatum, you see these giant beasts appear on the card, and all your opponent gets is two birds because you gave them an Alrun's Epiphany. Seems a little bit like a flavor fail to me. I think Ikoria is a flavor fail. But I guess it is kind of cool to see an Ultimatum being played. Yeah. You, you look at that casting cost, and it's like, man, you're going to have to put in work. And you're like, no, I'm just playing a Lotus. It's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I get those three green immediately. I don't work for this. <laughs> <laughs> It's like the opposite of the meme, where it's like it's honest, or it ain't much, but it's honest work. It's a lot, and I'm cheating to get here. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing honest about this. Oh, and by the way, I want three extra turns too. F you. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I like this deck, and I actually tweeted about this when someone when this deck first came up. I saw it like its first result, and like the person on Twitter like was tweeting about it, and I followed them. Uh, I'm blanking on who it who it is. Um, I can actually pull that up in a second so I can actually give credit. But um, I was saying, yeah, this list... Oh, here it is. Uh, it's uh, FWDR3 underscore his name. And I said, this is proof that Pioneer is incredibly unexplored. I cannot wait for Paper Magic to come back or Pioneer on MTG Arena to incentivize pros to come back to the format in Brew slash Solve It. Because I am more than convinced that there is a Death Shadow level deck available in this card pool that no one's found yet. I am so convinced about it. And uh, I can't wait for that. It's going to be great. Make me, real, make me real happy. Yeah, or or if the deck is not already there, we get a D&D set, we get one card, and it's just there. Yeah. It's kind of like how people already were on to what Inverter would eventually be. And then they spoiled Thassa's Oracle, and it's like, we got there, boys. Yep. And then the deck was immediately the best deck in the format. So Speaking of uh, best deck in the format, though, is it Niv? No. Why do you say that? I Well, my initial response is no, because I feel like Niv is a, be is a deck you can very easily beat uh, if you try to. So... We're currently in a very diverse meta to an extent. Like there's there's a lot of decks that work, a lot of different kind of decks that work. And Niv kind of I mean the more I think about it, like would I say Niv is the best deck? Hmm. My initial response was no, but the more that I try and think about as to why, it's like it might actually be yes. Um it's almost more because I always find it insulting that it's called a Niv deck. It's like, no, no, it's a Bring to Light deck. Yeah, right? it is. And Bring to Light is what makes it that crazy because there's a lot of good answers to a lot of things going on in the format. Like, um, like Jun Sack. And it's like, ah, oh, I'm just going to grab that immovable Earth guy. And now you need to draw one of your removal spells. Your entire deck doesn't work. And I don't know. It just feels like Niv is a very exploitable deck. Because Niv generally gives you quite a few turns to do what you want to do. Mm -hmm. And, like, like if you're playing Niv and your opponent plays Pummeler or something, like, what are you going to do? They're going to play the Pummeler, you're going to play some tapped lands, and now you're dead. And in that way, I feel like Niv is very exploitable. I also feel like Niv is relatively soft to control if they have the sort of like deck space to accommodate for it right if their sideboard has to be full of like moment of cravings and and blood chief's thirst and 
you know, damping spheres because there's too much Lotus, like maybe you can sneak underneath. But it, it feels like Niv is too exploitable for me to call it the best deck. But I would also have a difficult time saying, well, what is the best deck then? Because I honestly don't know. Maybe at this point it's Niv? Like, snapshot 12th of May. I think it's 11th of May for you. Um, is Niv the best deck? I mean, right now, probably? Well, let me, let me say this. It's the most played deck right now. It's found its footing again, and it's figured out its identity of how it wants to be uh, a deck and just acknowledge, like, hey, we're kind of soft to control. We, we deal with that we can, but as a fair deck, and we've mentioned this a couple times, or at least you have, uh, it's a deck that doesn't really have a whole lot of bad matchups except for, like, just straight-up hard control against it or those really, really fast uh, kill decks like Gruul Pummer, which, frankly, don't exist because they're glass cannony. Yeah, or but I'm I'm thinking like clever Lumamancer decks or something. Once people actually figure out how to build those, like I feel like they just kind of dump on Niv if built right. Or, but this is my issue with Niv. We preface this by saying, for the love of God, no bands. We don't need shit. We do not need any bands. I'm not calling for that. But Niv is not a deck like that. It has play patterns that I find incredibly annoying. Like, you're in this grind fest against Niv, you get them empty-handed, you're dealing with all their shit, you're answering their hand, your thoughts using them, whatever the case may be, or you're countering it. And, like, you get in this position where, like, you're both kind of top-decking, you're trying to see who gets there. Niv is just better at that. Niv is better at top-decking than most other decks, is the problem. The most infuriating thing playing against Niv, if you're playing control, and they're like, play this. I'm gonna have to counter that, sure, right? Playing tonight, counter it. Niv, counter it. Planeswalker, counter it. And they're like, Niv? And like, ah, you got it. And they draw yeah. five cards. So you're like... <laughs> yeah. That, that's the problem. Like, now... It's, we, we'd consider it a problem, but it's not problematic. Right? It's Exactly. Um, but the thing I want to talk about is, it's a five-color deck. We... I think Pioneer needs some form of color hate like i think that like something that's accessible to like a good amount of decks and again all their lands already come in tap so like a thalia type effect where like your non-basics come in tapped or whatever that doesn't matter but and i'm not saying blood moon for the love of god no not blood moon but like maybe something like magus of the moon or like maybe something that's outside the box and thinking a new type of land hate because I find it a little off-putting that in a format without fetch lands, we're finding that the mana base is still pretty damn good. Like we have pretty much everything else, right? Yeah. We're just missing allied pain lands and, uh, and uh, fast lands, right? So we're fine. And the fact that Niv has been the top played deck the past 90 days as well. Let me, let's look uh Shit, even the last the last 365 days, Alex. If you go 30 days, it's Niv. If you go 90 days, it's Niv. 365 days, it's Niv. Okay, I didn't see that one coming. I'll give you that. That's a problem. Not a problematic issue like Inverter. It's not a thing like that. But it's a problem where it should not be the top deck as a five-color deck this long. 
So I would like to see Wizards actually implement something into the Pioneer format that just says, take it easy on the five colors a little bit. This taxing deck that we're seeing is a nice start where I think that's, that's the right direction to attack Niv, or at least push down its meta share, right? But you got to get it going a bit more than that. Like, that's my concern. It's a five-color deck, and it's been the top-played deck for the last 365 days. That's crazy. I wonder what happens when you do that for Modern. Let's go over all, all the options for... So it's Heliod, Blitz, Blitz, Heliod, Blitz. So at least it's two decks, I guess. Um, yeah. But... Yeah, I don't know in what way we'd even want it. Again, like as you pointed out, Blood Moon is no. No. Yeah, that that's sounds like a miserable time. I think even Magus of the Moon is probably too much. Um Magus of the Moon is an interesting one because you can attack it by putting shock in your deck, even though your deck is probably not red. Or potentially not red. Um like you put a Bone Crusher Giant in your deck and you stomp their Magma, uh, Magus of the Moon. It's like, can I just have that mountain thing for one more turn um, as I cast my Bone Crusher Giant? But that's obviously an, an, an interesting way to go about it. Funny one too, because you get double red. So you can just double red discard your Magma Opus and then you get a treasure, which you can actually use to get a colored. But like, I think Mag Magus of the Moon is probably like a little too much, but like... Do you want like I I definitely agree that any land based hate should be land based hate on a stick, mm -hmm. right? I th I think doing it through creature based means is probably the best way to go about it, right? I wouldn't want to see something like burning earth for two mana because that's just going to be obnoxious. Yeah, like like Rian from Caladine with a snow thing. Like that's that card design is what I want, but not fucking for snow. <laughs> <laughs> like like just punish multicolored lands like yeah i just or just say even if, it, if even if that exact wording was oh i i have an idea what's that? why don't you punish the land you punish the spells you do some permanent that says like whenever a player casts a spell they take one damage for every color above the first or something i don't know that's probably bad but like it's it's hard to like especially hard to design a card on the spot because most ideas you get are probably like completely off the wall insane um but i don't know if i consider it too much of a problem given that if i look at the last 30 days and I look at the top 15 decks one of them is five color one of them is three color one of them is sometimes three colors and then there's a whole bunch of two to two color decks and two monocolor decks so we're looking at predominantly uh, two sometimes three color decks which i think is kind of okay mm -hmm. right i don't know if we're we're better off with a ghost quarter or something because a lot of these decks are already built with fable passage in mind anyway so they do actually have the basics so I'm not even sure if that works, right? Field of Ruin is a really good multicolor hate card, even coming out of some multicolor decks. And that sees virtually zero play. So you'd need something really good. And I don't know if that actually makes your format better. Yeah, because I don't want something that's too powerful that ends up 
inconsequentially uh, just smack it around the other top 14 decks. Yeah, like, I'm I'm thinking, like, and it's this obviously from, like, a selfish position, but, like, I don't feel like, like, my Grixis mana base is particularly unfair, right? It's definitely a cost for that deck to be three colors. Like, because... I would almost want to see more rewards for having fewer colors than punishments for having more. Like, as much as I feel like the castle cycle is occasionally too powerful, especially Castle Lockthwain, which is, like, disgustingly powerful. Um, but we have some good payoffs for being monocolored, right? The castles, again, if you ha make your deck three or four or five colors, you're probably running zero castles because you no longer can. Um, a good payoff for playing monocolored is having easy access to Mutavolt. I think that is a good reward for being a monocolored deck. Um, we could see more cards like Old Growth Troll, which just have a very restrictive mana cost that kind of push you into being one color. I, I think that is design I want to see more. And I think on top of that, we've just been to Strixhaven, which was a set based on guilds. And that is, like, the biggest boon Niv can get. Because it got, like, Culling Ritual, potentially Vanishing Verse, Fracture, Rip Apart. It got all these crazy good two-mana cards because we effectively got an extra Ravnica set. So, I think if you give it a while, because I don't think the mana's ever going to be much better for Niv. We could finish the Triome Cycle... And the Triome cycle would probably mean that Niv swaps two or three lands. But this is like peak mana we're at. Unless they do something really stupid. This is peak mana. We could get like mana reflections. And that, I don't know, might be something silly. But no, not mana reflection. Reflecting pool. I think that's that's the land that taps for any color you can already tap for. Which gets like really silly when you pair it with a mana confluence. Because that can tap, tap for five mana. Um... That was how the mana base worked last time we played Ultimatums, with the Grixis Ultimatum. Like, uh, Cruel Ultimatum was played in a deck together with a card that cost two colorless, green, 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 green. And it was in the same deck as Cruel Ultimatum, because of how stupid that mana was. But anyway, but like this like peak mana, so it's not going to get any worse than this, really. So I just would rather see incentives to not be five colors than punishment for being five colors. I think making a five color work deck work is a real challenge and i think you should be rewarded for that challenge well they're certainly seemingly uh being rewarded for the last 365 days but i mean if we look at the 365 days it's been 8.3 percent of the meta over those 365 days yeah which is only 0.6 percent ahead of burn and 1.4 percent ahead of mono black aggro Right, it's the most played deck, but not by a landslide. Right, you wouldn't even see, you would see Niv in one out of twelve games. Let's say you play an equal amount of games every week for the past year. Every one in twelve matches would be against Niv. That's fine. Right, a deck needs a format needs a most played deck. Right, there's literally always a most played deck. It's never that spot will never be empty because that would mean no one is playing your format. And I don't mind it too much being Niv. There's decks I would much rather, uh, I would hate much more to be the most played deck than Niv. I, I think that's fair. Niv is exploitable. 
if you go out there to beat Niv, you can beat Niv. Yeah. I, I just, I don't know. Like, I again, I don't think it's a problematic deck. I just find the the ways of which Niv wins. And I like to play mid-rangey, grindier kind of decks. Again, said it before, my favorites... Yeah, and they, and they all get pooped on by Niv. Exactly. My favorite standard deck of all time, Hero, uh, Hero Precinct 1. Like, that's the epitome of, like, yeah, we're going to get there. We're going to ping you a lot. Um, just decks that r- every decision you make changes the dynamic of your match, right? In Niv, it feels like you can make every correct decision. You can do everything perfectly right. And all it takes is them to just top deck a Bring to Light or a Niv. And even if they don't top deck it, if you're just both, you start your deck and you're playing your Obzom pile because you hate yourself and you want to cast Siege Rhino, and your opponent is playing Niv to Light, they just cast one Niv. They don't even have to top deck it. Might be in their opening hand. They just cast a Niv. And it's like, yeah, I just drew four cards and there's a five mana six six. Good luck. Oh, and two of the cards I drew are also two for ones. Right. That that means you never win. But at that point, again, I am not advocating for a ban in any way, shape, or form. I think it's completely unnecessary. But at that point, the problem in this Niv deck is the card Niv Mizzet. True. Like, we talk about it a lot that it's a bring-to-light deck, because at its core it is. But it will often bring to light for a Niv. It's just, it's exceptional that sometimes it doesn't. And it's like, yeah, but sometimes I'm just going to find a Shadow's Verdict and this game is now over because you're playing like Mono Black Aggro, which is like super soft to that card, except for a few, right? Something like that. And I think it's, you're you're going to have to jump through a lot of hoops to stop Niv Delight from doing what it's doing until you just get rid of Niv. And again, don't get rid of Niv. You don't have to. But at one point, we're going to, you know, let's say this deck eventually gets to a point where it's too powerful. I don't know. We go back to Ravnica another four times in the next three years. And Niv is just a completely bonkers deck right now. I think at that point, we're going to get to the choice. It's like, do we get rid of Niv to light? Uh, do we get rid of Niv? Or do we get rid of Bring to light? And if you want to make other mid-range grindy decks that aren't blue work then niv is actually the problem because that's the card that draws you five spells which means you always win those matchups because you've just drawn five relevant cards and your opponent is like i'll draw two and one of them is a land yeah it's the card selection so i don't think you ever change that unless you make multicolored punishments so bad that we just go to a format that's exclusively one and two color decks and people don't play Grixis and Bant and those things anymore either because they're being punished so hard, which is not something I would go to. And I think printing a card that like specifically says, like, if your opponent plays a five-color card, they lose the game. I think it would be boring design too. So it's kind of a Niv world and we're just living in it, I guess. It's a very tough way to kind of uh, go about it. It's a tough deck in its design. It's very, It's just a very weird deck you think about it niv mizzet reborn is just a really weird card it's a good card though yes maybe i should just you know what maybe if i just play niv for the next month i'll i'll change my tune because i'm like i like casting niv i like getting the five cards it is probably a great card to cast oh i'm sure um but maybe we'll get something in uh you know D 
that isn't guild centric or multi card centric where Niv can just chill the fuck out for a set or two. I mean, it will, right? We're gonna get D the D and D set, which I would be really surprised if it ends up being a guild set, right? That would be really odd. Mm-hmm. Um, and keep in mind. Niv specifically finds guild cards. It's not even multicolored cards. They have to be guilds, which is somewhat specific. I mean, most multicolored cards will end up being two-color cards. We hardly ever see three-color cards and four-color cards. It's just not really a thing that Wizards does, except for, like, Omnath and random commander cards. Um, So... And then we're gonna get D&D set, we're gonna get Vampire, we're gonna get Innistrad which is definitely not going to be a guild-centered set. And every deck is going to gain something. And, like, if you're playing mono-black aggro, you're thinking, like, oh, you know, the new set's out. How many black cards are in? I don't know, 50, 60. Every set, Niv's going to be like, what four cards could I potentially put in my deck this time? Yeah. We're just in that awkward uh, awkward stage, right? We're, no, we're, all the other decks are trying to grow out their hair. And it's like that weird length where it's, you know, not quite long enough to do anything with, but, you know, not short enough to like where it doesn't stay out of your eyes. And Niv like peaked early. Hair looks great now. Five years from now, it's going to fall out. But Niv looks really hot bald and we're all fucked. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, man, you should have shaved earlier. (laughs) It's like Dwayne. It's not fair. (laughs) Um... Niv Delight is Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> so, uh, speaking of D&D, uh, we did get some D&D spoilers. Uh, we got five. Let's just, I guess, jump right into them. Are you ready, Alex? New cards. Yeah, I don't know if there's any other decks you want to talk about, because we've only been about an hour and 50 minutes in. All right, so some of the other trends that we've seen. So we've, we've talked about some, right? We've seen um, Mono Black Aggro, kind of fade away it's the 15th 15th 12th 12th deck on them I, I can't look it's the 14th numbers are hard it's down there um pictures are hard too yeah it, the main thing is it's down there right it's it's just above decks like naya winoda which is finally not called naya mid-range anymore until you click on it um yeah we've seen uh esper control it's a little out there um, obviously we got the humans like we talked about we still see people attempt to play Feather uh, with um, Leon and Lightscribe, uh, Clever Lumomancer those type of cards uh, Rectal Spiromancer is still there because that deck will never die just like Croxa never will um, Spirits is there's a resurgence of Band which is interesting uh, for a while we were all playing Band because well Azorius mana was just bad so at that point, you might as well play three colors because your mana base is going to suck I when it's three colors, when it's two colors. Might as well play three at that point. I'm not going to lie. The mana base was better when I was banned before we got the, the uh, pathways. Yeah. <laughs> then we got the pathways and people gravitated more towards um, Azorius. Obviously, this could also be some meta concerns, not just the fact that the mana got better, but that is a part of it. Uh, now people are gravitating back towards banned. Maybe because people just value the fact that band. I'm not sure what is actually the more aggro version. Uh, you've played these decks, I think. Uh, Azorius with Watcher of the Spheres or Band? What's more the aggro? 
What's more the aggro list? Um, they both play Watcher of the Spheres now. Even Bant does. Oh, well, look at that. Um, but uh, Watcher of the Spheres just carries the deck. Like, you can thank Traft for, like, being like, hey, I think this card should be played more. And he started out with, like, two and three and then went to four. And everyone else is like, shit, guess we could, we should do that. And he's like, yeah, deck gets carried by Watcher of the Spheres. Because it, it, it allows you to go into these really absurd turns. Um, and, like, even when we played Test the other day, it was only one game. Uh, you were on Elves and I played Spirits, but, like, Spirits already has obnoxiously fast turns where I'm like, hey, uh, one drop and my one drop happens to be the one drop in the deck that gets buffed by everything f***ing else that enters being Mausoleum Wanderer. And then I'm like, yeah, Mausoleum Wanderer, uh, Supreme Phantom, Eagle Eagle. Can, can you beat that? No. Sounds good. Now you're in a position with Watcher the Spheres where you're like, yeah, Wanderer, Watcher the Spheres, uh, Eagle Eagle that turn anyway. Or... Uh, you know, Phantom Phantom, because now they're one mana or two mana each. Like that Spheres allows the deck to get out of hand and just push you ahead because you still get the nice curve with the extra benefit of another creature that gets buffed every time a creature with flying enters a battlefield, just like Wanderer. So you get buffed from it being a flyer with Eagle. Doesn't get buffed by uh by Phantom because it's not a spirit. Which is also why the Azorius mana base, uh, going back to that, was so bad. Because you were in a position where, like, do you run unclaimed territory at this point? But if you ran unclaimed territory, you're like, fuck, do I have to name wizard this turn? Because of the stupid watcher of the spheres? No, you always name bird. Uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, because you can... When you get the opportunity to name bird, you do. Right? If, you, if, you're, if you're about to Armageddon anyway, you name antelope on your, uh, <laughs> on your card. But I I think I think the Azorius version is probably better than the Bant version. The reason I say that, and I think they're both good, but I, I think the reason this one is better is because it's a tempo-oriented deck that you can play stuff and also be in a position to also have that plan B and hold up mana for lofty denial and things like that or spell queller and just be like yeah uh, i'm gonna beat you down but also you know tell you no on occasion where bant is all in where it's like i'm gonna beat you down and cast a coco to get more stuff to beat you down it's a bit more plan a and plan a part two rather than a plan a and a plan b <laughs> that makes sense yeah yeah uh that makes sense i also I generally like what I like about Azorius that its land count is lower. Uh, because Spirits as a deck is horribly prone to flooding. Because Spectral Sailor is nice, but like, hmm. Uh, you haven't played Spirits looking over my shoulder. Because my problem with Spirits and the reason I stopped playing the deck altogether after like a month of playing it. You always flood it. No, I never got there with lands. I would open with my seven, be like, land, land, five good cards, never get to land three. Ever. <laughs> Ever. Imagine having to go to four, Brad, playing Coco. Okay, when I played when, when I played Bant, I always got to four. But when I played Azorius, I never got to three. <laughs> I was like, this is so frustrating. Yeah, but I think as a as a sort of final like glance over the over the meta, because you know, and uh, we've had some people bring up like, hey, you know, we haven't done much of a meta analysis, we always had all the spoilers, etc. 
And I think we fall back into the same uh, negative that is also definitely a positive that we've been at with Pioneer for a while. And to me, is still the reason why I very much enjoy the format. If you look around now, and you wouldn't have been playing Pioneer for like a couple of months and you come back, you're like, you know, what's what's you know what's good now what, what are people playing now and obviously except a couple of exceptions it's generally like yeah all the decks you know but like all the decks that you've known like literally everything like if you go through the history of pioneer and you name all the decks that have been played and haven't been banned pretty much all of them are playable right we we see uh niv so we see niv phoenix uh, control, obviously at the top, we've got Junsack, Spirits, but we've got some older ones still seem to play. We've got Monobreen Planeswalkers, that is still, you know, being played, right? I'd consider, sure, 2% of a meta is not a lot, but it's definitely a deck that you could play and sometimes pops up. We see Monogreen Planeswalkers, but also Monogreen Stompy, uh, Ors of Auras, Monoblack Aggro, Naya Winoda. Um, there's only one deck in this meta that has an over 10% share, and it's Niv with 12. Mm -hmm. And then afterwards, it's 8 for Phoenix and 7 for Control. So in that way, it's hard to think, like, what do I... I mean, if you now pick, like, what do I prep for? It's definitely Niv, Phoenix, Demir, uh, Control, and Aggro. Which I would put Aggro in one part. But obviously, if you go against Burn, that is a little bit tougher. So maybe you would look at cards like um, Essence Extraction, Erebosis Intervention... Uh, obviously, I name all black cards here, but Moment of Craving, like the ones that do kind of double duty. Uh, Aether Gust is obviously still a great card in the format. Um, not as much graveyard shenanigans going on, which is why Rectal's Pyromancer always like still finds its way, because no one's dealing with Cruxa right now. They're just they're just taking it on the chin, right? We see some scavenging ooze in the Monogreen Stompy deck. We see the occasional cling to dust in the black decks, but that's about it. So, yeah, really for your metagame. And in that way also, like, I feel like most decks are close enough that you should definitely be playing what you enjoy and what you're good at. And you don't have to play what is, like, best because it's hard to define what's best. Sure, if you're a, a good Niv player, you should probably play Niv. But if you're thinking, like, I'm not a good Niv player. I've never played this deck before. Should I just pick up my mono green Stompy deck that I'm comfortable playing? Please do. Which I think is great. It's it's why I love Pioneer. And it's just it's just the best, right? Just play what you love. Um, play what you're comfortable with. And that's going to net you a bigger win percentage than playing the best deck. Obviously, uh, as we talked about two weeks ago when we had... Um, Oh, what is his Twitter handle? I know his actual name, but... Aku... Akros? The streamer we had on. Akros, yes, thank you very much. Sorry, Akros, I love you. Um, at on last time, last week, well, two weeks ago, it's obviously the best if you can play both something you're comfortable with and what the best deck is, but that's when you're talking like the super, super top level. If you now just want to do well, play your favorite deck. I definitely will. Yeah. You've been playing the uh, the bad deck. I mean, I've never. I mean, shut up. I've never felt forced into playing a deck that I don't like playing. But Pioneer is definitely at the moment a format that really also doesn't really punish you for that. 
I've gone through standard formats where I really like, even if I didn't play Grixis, like all the decks I enjoyed were just bad. And it clearly showed when you went somewhere. Now I can play in Pioneer, I can play any deck that I enjoy, and I've got quite a couple, and they're all fine, right? They'll all get you there on a day with a good draw, right? And that's just fantastic. Yeah, I agree. Um, one deck that actually... I mean, you can agree. You've got all the decks on this meta page. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I, I get bored. So Okay, this is the problem. This is the problem when you ban my favorite deck. I now get bored of playing certain decks where I could have played Kethis nonstop. The only deck. See, I'm, I resent Wizards for banning Kethis even more now because they f***ed over my wallet because I get bored. I'm like, I need to play every other deck. Um, one deck though that I'm actually excited to uh, sleeve up again fairly soon. We can maybe play test later this week or this weekend. I want to see if uh, Dredgeless Dredge has legs again with the new Witherbloom command being an option as a as copies like nine, ten, and eleven of your Gather the Pack and Grizzly Savage. Um. Because I'm looking at some lists, and they've it's come back a little bit. There's a 5-0 in a league, and they went down to 18 lands. And I'm like, why would you do that? And then I look, and I'm like, oh, shit. You have 11 spells that just say, yeah, grab a land. Well, uh, not 11. You have uh, seven spells in Grizzly Salvage and Witherboom Command. But the fact that Witherboom Command just flat out goes, yeah, we'll just... I mean, Seder Wayfinder, right? Uh, yeah, of course, Seder Wayfinder. And then, oh, you, they're also running a one of Glowspore Shaman, which I'm actually a fan of that card. I wish it went to hand instead of back on the top of the library, but a 3-1 is a, a respectable body when you're coming in. I still have Silver Smoke Ghoul. Haunted Dead's still great. The one Driven Despair in the main. And, of course, everyone's favorite magic card, Creeping Chill. If, you're, if you want to play against Niftalite, I just probably run more Driven to Despair because you really really want to mind twist your opponent at one point oh yeah i mean you you run dw- driven in the side they play a niv it's like oh i've got five spells now and it's like and now you discard five yeah that that's where i would put like copies up to four in the sideboard i think one in the main's fine i probably want to go more than two in the main but you can definitely run your extras in the side yeah i definitely go for a second in the main yeah and maybe a third or I mean, four on the side is optimistic, but well, I, I would. You really want to hit it, so yeah. Well, I mean, you're fine with you know, mulling it over or milling it over. Um, and Prize Amalgam is so good, and I have the Time Spiral Remastered Prize Amalgam, and I'm like, oh, I wanna, I wanna play with those. Oh, also, uh, this this list uh, with on 18 lands is also running Deathrite Shaman, which is just like, yeah, makes sense. So, more ways to get to your mana, though. I was never a fan of Deathrite Shaman in this list, if I'm being honest, when I did play this earlier on in Pioneer, because I was like, it just felt like it slowed me down. You go turn one Deathrite Shaman instead of turn one Citrus Supplier, and you're like, uh, uh, like, I'm just trying to kill you, dude. But Brad, what if you don't have Citrus Supplier? Then I just play a tap lane, like I say, go. <laughs> <laughs> Like it, it ends up being the same thing. Like you're even when you play Death Rush Shaman, it still has this weird. Um, I don't. Know, I, I'll try it. I just. I, it makes me feel weird about it. But this is a deck that I loved a lot. One thing to note, though. No. Uh, what's it called? What's the big zombie fish? 
Um, you mean world spine worm? No, 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 no. Zombie no. fish with delve. Oh, zombie. F- oh, uh, Gurmog angler. Yeah. None of that in here. Also, no. Um, Tassiger? Uh, no, Tassiger fucking sucks in this list. Um, be honest. Like, What's wrong with Tassiger? It's a cheaper Gurmog angler. Yeah. But the potential of being extra grindy, which is. I suppose your opponent's going to put like all your Narcomoebus back in your hand. Yeah, <laughs> so. exactly. Like, Tassiger's not good in this type of list. You activate Tassiger and it's like, there you go, buddy. Here's your prized amalgam in your hand. <laughs> the games where I have to hard cast prize amalgam. I hate it so much. Uh, but no, no, Decimator of the Provinces is what I was thinking of. None of that. Which was just such a fun be like, that, that, that was the whole thing. You ran Gurmag Angler and then you're like, Gurmag Angler, sack it. Uh, emerge decimator provinces and you're like do you die you probably do yeah um but i'd like to give this one another shot are there any decks that you feel like can be re-emerged thanks to strict save and stuff like that or like the new meta that we've kind of forgotten about because i think dredgel stretch is one of those we just haven't seen because you know for a while we had oops all spells and that was the better version of the deck um and now that that's gone we have some openings any other decks like that? Ooh, not, not that I can think of from the top, really. It's, I mean... Scissors? In a meta, Scissors is always one. In a meta like this, if we go towards more... Um, I mean, especially if we get more Niv. Um, if, people, if that ends up picking actually more. I'm surprised no one's given Mono Blue Tempo another world, really. Um, I played against it in our weekly last week, and I, I mean, I'll say I got my ass handed to me. Um, and I can imagine that being a deck that, like, just randomly works in some metas. Um, obviously, I'm saying, like, I'm thinking, like, it's, it's a deck that can, I feel like Mystical Dispute is kind of powerful in the format right now again. Um, which I guess actually is... Well, it's always the double-edged sword, right? That card is great against Mono Blue Tempo, but it's also a one-mana counterspell, which is the type of thing Mono Blue Tempo wants to be doing itself. So maybe that, but it's probably a long shot and not much else I can think of, really. There are some... Uh... Oh, what was it? I saw him pop up a little bit. The um, the Risen Reef Master of Waves deck. I saw that pop up again recently. Eh. Hmm. I think it's cute. I like the deck, but it's not very good. I don't like Harbinger of the Tides. Can you explain to me why that card's good? Harbinger of the Tides, that's the, the bounce creature, right? Yeah, but you have to pay two extra, so it's a four mana 2-2 two, two f- to flash it in. Wouldn't you just rather play Trickster? Well, this card puts them back in their hand, and if you if they're already tapped, you just do it on your turn for two mana. It gives two devotion too. I think it's just more flexible than Trickster. Mm. Right? Trickster switching an ability off for a turn is not that great. It's fine, but... I mean, it also taps it, I think, right? Yeah, it taps it. Yeah, so I guess they work well in tandem. So if you do both, you go Trickster, and then next turn you Harbinger that creature and bounce it. Well, I mean, Harbinger of the Tides is a card you can play for two mana, but you're playing a Risen Reef deck, so you're probably going to end up at one point where you have a billion mana and nothing to spend it on. And... Then a card like Harbinger of Tide is fine. But again, I don't think the deck's great. Uh, it's a bit meme which is which is fine. It's a fun meme. It's probably fun to play with. Um, but 
I mean, Harbinger of the Tides is kind of... It's one of the few cards that Merfolk get that isn't from Ixalan. And it's not good enough to make the deck work. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, this deck did get 10th place in a challenge. Did it? A couple weeks ago. So the 24th of April. Yeah. 10th place, 5-1. and one. I mean, Broken Clock's uh, right twice a day, I guess. I mean, this is the challenge that had six Niftalite, four Lotus Combo, four Phoenix, three Vampire, three Burn, two Jun Sacrifice. It's like they're then the usual suspects were there. Um, I mean, this is basically a combo deck, right? What's well, basically a combo deck? The Risen Reef Master Waves. Yeah, it basically is. But before we dive into these five spoilers from D and D, are there any other decks you wanted to briefly go over? Um, let's see. I saw some. I just saw a weird like deck that looked like Mono Green Devotion, and then it randomly had Bring to Light and Valky in it, but um, was kind of wild. Um, now I'm a little surprised that Enigmatic Fires just left. It's 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 right at the same amount as five color or four color fires. Yeah, but I'm just I'm just a little surprised by Enigmatic Fires just kind of departed. I can tell you why. And it like did really well, and then it's just like goodbye. <laughs> do you, do you want to know the secret as to why? Well. It's a hard deck to play. That makes sense. Like, it's why Kethis didn't have a ridiculously high meta share when it was in, but it could have been the best deck um, because it's so hard to play. And this is not just like regular fires where you're like, yup, transmogrify, steal your shit, keep doing it. This is like, I have 18 creatures and 17 of them are unique. <laughs> I need to figure out what I need to grab here now. I also need to figure out which uh, which enchantment to play and what order and, and how to like climb the ladder of like sacking shit and bringing it out. You know, um, this this is an epic deck because epic is big brained and played this deck for eight hours straight and, and won a goddamn tournament with it. <laughs> like, good for you, dude. And another thing, I, I think I don't know if we touched on it in an earlier week. I think we did. Um, I kind of like uh, Blade Historian in Winota. Like that's been a that, that's a thing that makes that just looks right to me. Yeah, it's it's uh, the extra copies of uh, Ingress Marauders. Right now, I've I've seen some three two or yeah. I'm just surprised to see some lists with yeah with three Ingress Marauders. Like that's still a four, right? And Blade Historian is your fifth, but yeah, now they're doing three and two. Uh, I guess because it's actually castable as opposed to Angras Marauder, that you are literally never casting. Mm -hmm. uh, I guess that makes some degree of sense. It just always, like, Winoda's always a deck that kind of intrigues me, but it also doesn't. On the one hand, it looks, it, it, it sounds really cool. And then I'm like, I already know that my first 17 Winodas are going to miss and I'm going to hate it. Even if the 17 after work, because negativity bias that humans have. Isn't it interesting, Winoda started out as like we run four rabble master four legion war boss and we get there now they're like ooh woo archon of emiria we both only cast one card <laughs> it's gone in a sort of like in that way it almost goes in like a bit of a staxy way right i'm just surprised that the deck still runs kenrith but then it cuts an angras marauder yeah i don't like kenrith to be honest i i, I suppose it provides this flexibility or whatever as a one-off it's a one-off that you're just flipping with winota uh, I guess I would rather just I would rather just be like hey I mean you Eldritch Evolution your Thopter Engineer and then that becomes a a Kenny and then you give haste trample 
Mm-hmm. Trample's nice, but I don't know. Not not the biggest fan of Kenny in these decks. Seeker's Chariot's cool in this deck. I still like that a lot. And it makes me happy to see a Seeker's Chariot in a deck that's not Fires. Because <laughs> it's like, it's played elsewhere. Hooray! It's not just, well, I mean, it's a being abused for the exact same reason, but whatever. <laughs> but I think that's about it for me speaking, talking about like decks that like have piqued my interest this week. Fair enough. I will say one last thing before we go to D&D. I still do not understand why Phoenix is a deck. I don't know what happened. It still doesn't make sense. The fact that it's here now and it's the exact same deck that it was at the start of Pioneer with literally no new guards, none at all. They're playing jack shit that are new. Wait, they they, they stopped playing. They don't longer play Expressive Iteration and Prismari Command? No. They also just stopped doing that. Yes. <laughs> they're like nope we're back to basics it's better these decks just baffle me too I, I don't get it and it's 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 just it's doing stuff I don't know why not even like finale because it's like oh that works now because Teferi is banned it's like no just none of it nope it runs 31 spells it runs a one of quicken that's, that's what we need that slot for one of quicken <laughs> and a one of anger in the main <laughs> whatever alright D&D Forgotten Realms let's do it so Alex, we have five new cards. One of them is a big boy. Another one's a sword. Shall we go in the... Uh, to probably end on the big boy, because that wouldn't be a surprising one. Shall we go in the order at which they interest me for the sake of Pioneer? Sure. All right, so, well, I suppose they do interest... The basics do interest me. They intrigue me because the way they printed the flavor text on it and, like, it's um, center outlined rather than outlined on the left, which looks strange. But... The uh the first card is Vorpal Sword. Now, I've played D&D for a bit over a year now, and I will say I have no idea what this is a reference to. Some of them make a bit more sense. Um, Vorpal Sword is one black for an artifact equipment. The equipped creature gets plus two plus zero and has death touch, and its equip is black black, so very restrictive equip cost. It has an activated ability, for five black, 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 so eight mana in total, until end of turn, Vorpal Sword gains whenever equipped creature deals combat damage to a player, that player loses the game. Nice. Meh. It's eight mana to get your creature fatal pushed. Like, I don't know. It's, just, it's, it's, it's interesting. I find the equip cost is obviously horribly restrictive. I kind I understand totally why they couldn't do that, but I kind of wish this was like Colossus Hammery, where it's the equip cost that was the ridiculous part about it, and then you could actually like, I don't know, I, I guess it leads to very boring games. You go turn one warrior, turn two Vorpal Sword into a Sure Strike thing. Yeah. I had it on my list in Zendikar. Mm-hmm. Uh, that one, that equips to a warrior and your opponent instantly dies. So this is the type of thing that you don't really it's hard to design in a more interesting way. I don't know if you had any great ideas when you saw this. You're like, oh, that perfectly goes in X or you cheated with Y. Nope. You just... Nope, none of it. You, you just throw it on and like, we'll get there eventually, boys. I mean, equipment that gives death touch is always interesting. Put this on a mayhem devil and everything dies. Ooh. I like that. I like that a lot. Uh, the, uh, the other card, uh, also not very, but Prosperous Innkeeper. One on a green for a 1-1 halfling citizen. 
Now, halflings are a are D and D race. Um, as far as I know, they have never been on a magic card, so this is a new creature type. Um, when Prosperous Innkeeper enters the battlefield, you create a treasure, and whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, you gain one life. Uh, there are some life gain synergies in in green. Uh, they've historically been in Orzov, but we saw some green ones in Strixhaven. Uh, we've seen life gain decks float around a little bit, but that tends to be like the angel-focused version, and they put in like Collected Company. Don't know if it would want this. I do like the jump of turn two this, turn three Coco. If you're playing that deck, right, you're playing like the uh, Celestia Angels life gain Coco deck, it's kind of nice to jump you ahead one while actually synergizing with your other life gain cards, but it's very minor. It's, uh, I don't know. I just compare all two mana one ones that do a thing on ETV to Dust Legion Zealot, and I'm just unimpressed. I'm unimpressed <laughs> with all of them. I'm like, you don't draw me a card. Fuck you. <laughs> it's fine. And, I mean, it gains you life instead of losing you life. Isn't that important, Brad? No. No. Um, moving on. So I guess I'll, um, I mean, like, in the order they interest me more. In the order they interest me more, I'll say the third one I want to talk about is Portable Hole. Um, one white for an artifact. When Portable Hole enters the battlefield, exile target non-land permanent opponent controls with mana value two or less until Portable Hole leaves the battlefield. Uh, I thought this was creatures at first, so this card is actually even better than I thought it was. But this is kind of... Kind of white's fatal push... <laughs> it doesn't have flash so it's kind of like white's blood chief's thirst but you can't kick it but again white removal should be worse right white's early game removal should be worse this is your one mana answer to a lanawar elf that doesn't outright suck in most matchups like isolate does um I do think this card is good, right? I think if you're a if you're like a white control player, like a blue white control player, I think you should be excited for this card. I don't think it's fantastic. It's not Path to Exile. No, 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 no. But it is a good card. I think. What do you think? I think it's fine. I mean, I think it's a good card. I think it's uh, it'll see play, and um. I like it. I, I like the card. I like the flavor. I, I, I think it's good. I, there's not much to say about it. It's just, it makes me wish we had a better white removal spell. I wish Divine Gambit just didn't have all that extra bullshit <laughs> and was just a flat out two double, like a double, ma a double white exile target creature. That's it. That seems a little, little good. Yeah. But, um, little too good, maybe. Shit. You can, okay. How about this? Exile target creature. Uh, We've got Vanishing Verse. Okay. It's fine. Exile target creature. Your opponent gains 10 life. There you go. That's a white card. Yeah. Um, all right, all right. Except that the other thing on it, because usually it's like, this card is bad, but now it gains you life. Oh, it's still bad. And this card is like, this card's great. It gains your opponent life. That doesn't matter. <laughs> Both players revert back to their starting life, uh, life total. That would be an upside. Holy shit. Um, then... Uh, the card after is Power Word Kill. It's one in a black for an instant. Destroy target non-angel, non-demon, non-devil, non-dragon creature. I'll have uh, your take on it first, Brad. 
it's just a a weirder Doom Blade that won't see play. That's it. What? Yeah, this won't see play. This is one of the best Doom Blades we've got. Mm, Heartless Act better. I no, I I don't think Heartless Act is well. I think it just goes on the pile with Heartless Act and Eliminate. Like I feel like okay. I see. I see. I see two problems with this. Niv and Mayhem Devil. I mean, yeah. So in this meta, I'd probably pick Heartless Act, but. That's just like in this meta, I generally prefer Heartless Act over Eliminate, but that doesn't mean Eliminate's not a good card that won't see play. All right, I'm 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 bringing Spawn of Mayhem's in my in my board now against you if you play this card. <laughs> I mean, I feel like this card is it just goes on the pile. I'm buying my playset. Sure, I'll get the playset. I'll get the foils because they'll be dirt f***ing cheap. I don't think it's that good though. But I'll just evaluate because I think this is like it's definitely better than like a generally better than like a price of fame yeah which i still think is a decent card so uh, this this just goes on the pile i mean ultimate price where i would pick heartless act uh, ultimate price right P- price of fame is the five mana one or whatever <laughs> no that's a four mana one that's two mana when you target legendaries um yeah that's not a very good card no um it'd be a very weird meta where that card is good i don't want to be in that meta it is all legendaries probably pretty good against niv if you think about it oh wait no i i do i do want to be in that meta <laughs> that means kethis is back <laughs> no brad Aww. um yeah so i i I feel like this card some people i've seen it on twitter where some people are like is this the best doom blade ever and it's like probably not i consider heartless act to be better but you're gonna run into metas where you just look at Heartless Act and you look at this card and it's like, what's more likely to happen? My opponent's creature having a 1-1 counter or my opponent's creature being any of these four? And there's definitely metas, especially because plus one plus one counters are a very common theme, right? It's almost in every set. So the chance that we end up with a couple of good creatures that get 1-1 counters that make Heartless Act worse is very likely. Not guaranteed, but almost every set has 1-1 counters in them. So the chance that we get, you know, an X like Hangerback Walker, Walking Ballista, some sort of mono green stompy creature, Voracious Hydra card, whatever, that's actually good. Um, this would have definitely been a much better card if we had uh, Band Heliot and not Ballista, we'd still have skills. Because it like, if we had those type of creatures or those type of decks running around more. I think it's good. I do think there's a giant flavor fill on this card um, where they could have made a really fun D&D reference on it and didn't. This should say at the end, with toughness of 100 or less. Because the D&D spell, Power Word Kill, instantly kills you if your HP is 100 or less. So they should have just put on with toughness 100 or less just to confuse the hell out of people who don't play D&D. Because this is already a reference, so you might as well go uh, go all in. Now, the final card that was spoiled is... Now, I, I, I haven't played this campaign, but this will scare the hell out of some people. Um, Tiamat is a Magic the Gathering card now. The five-headed dragon, so it's two Wooburg um, for a legendary creature, a dragon god with flying. It's a 7-7. And when Tiamat enters the battlefield, if you cast it, 
search your library for up to five dragon cards, not named Tiamat, that each have different names, reveal them, put them into your hand, and then shuffle your deck. It's a lot of Dargons. I uh, have a great name for a deck that's going. Tiamat Energy. Instead of Teamer Energy. Because I want to get this with Aetherworks Marvel. No. You could do it with any Teamer deck. Yeah. Oh, this is... Uh, oh, yeah, you cast it off Aetherworks Marvel. That's kind of cute. Yeah. That was my first thought. You could also... No. Yeah, no. Marvel sounds fun. Tiamat Marvel. That, that sounds, sounds kind of nice. Has a good ring to it. I don't know what other dragons you tutor up. Um, this is effectively just search your library for a Glorybringer, a Goldspan dragon, and whatever the hell else you could come up with. Then shuffle your library. Uh, a Niv-Mizzet, a, uh, a Nicol Bolas, and um, what's another legendary dragon that'd be cool? Uh, oh, the um, the seven mana Strixhaven one. The the Golgari one that you can pay 10 life to untap your lands. That one's cool. Oh, uh, I was going to say the, the Jund one that, that has haste and makes eggs. Oh, um... Oh. <laughs> Drove. Daragust Reborn or something? Something like that. I have one of those in my binder and I'm like... <sighs> I sigh every time I look at it. I'm like, I don't know why did I... I, I opened this on a pack... It's one of those mythics you're like, mm. speaking of mythics you don't want, I w I opened four uh, Kaladesh remastered packs in Arena today because I was like, I need some T-Hulks because I want to build a Demir control deck for my challenges because my challenges were 750, 750, 750, and it was cast black and blue spells, cast black and blue spells, destroy 25 creatures. And I'm like, that sounds like a Demir deck. Let's do that. Um, and uh, I didn't have any T-Hawks, so I opened four packs. And I opened Noxious Gear Hulk was my first one. The Boat was my second one. And then I got a Combustible Gear Hulk as my third. I got three f***ing Mythics in four packs, none of them T-Hulk. And I was like, this is stupid. <laughs> I mean, speaking of other Mythics you don't want, Tiamat. I, I like this card, though. Okay, this is cool for EDH. It's a really cool EDH card. Her, her, of course it is. Um, outside of EDH, this card is just ass, right? Like, you need to get to seven mana, which is hard, right? No, you don't. We just found out a way to bet around that, Alex. Marvel. Yeah, but then what else you got to put? It's like Marvel. So I have four mana, and now I'm going to put, like, a six drop, a seven drop, and an eight drop in my hand. Like, you, get, you tutor up, like, 30 mana worth of cards that you're not going to be able to cast. <laughs> you, you, you tutor up Sprite Dragon. There we go. <laughs> you find, like... Oh, you go, like, Sprite Dragon, Dragon Egg, Dragon Whelp. <laughs> Just get all those cards. It's like, you wait for them to grow up. They'll be... Oh, no. Yeah, no, that fucking sucks, because then you, you end up hitting those off your Marvel, and you're like, this is garbage. Realm Walker. You find, like, all these changelings from Kaldheim. Uh, no, but in, in reality, this is this is a commander card, and it's... Oh, wait. Wait, wait. Does Power Word kill not kill changelings? No, it doesn't. Ah, I get f***ed. Changeling tribal. Uh, doesn't kill your Muta Vaults. Aha! Um, or my face is saving. Get true. Oh, yeah, that's a changeling, too. Yeah. But Tiamat's obviously big. It's flashy. It's cool. The art's great, as per usual with these cards. Um, Don't play it in your Pioneer deck. Please. But I can... Wait, no, I can't bring to, bring to light for it. <laughs> nope. Can't even bring to light for it, because it is a 7-drop. Uh, they're going to introduce two more colors. 
We we get purple and orange. I'm gonna make purple and brown. <laughs> I mean, it's a, oh, dude, the art for Vorpal Sword is awesome. I just actually looked at it, been staring at it this entire time. We've gone over the spoilers, and I'm like, huh, eh, green. But when you actually take a take a, like take a second to like look at it, that's um, it's a Gorgon head. Yeah, the uh, the actual story behind Medusa is really sad. It's a really sad story. I'm not gonna say it now because it's not great for the cast and it's very sad. But I, I encourage everyone to look up the actual genuine story of Medusa within the mythology. Got a book on it. Could read it out for you. It's in Dutch. Um, no, thank you. <laughs> but I think I think that about wraps it up. I was very surprised to hear that we already had spoilers, and I was like. It was almost like the, like the excitement fatigue. It's like, we've just had a new set. I'm still playing with my new cards. I, I don't need new toys, right? Yeah, like I'm I'm hitting that point of fatigue too. Um, the good thing is, is the space between... And like, we're also in the middle of getting Modern Horizon spoilers too. Like, f- dude. Um, but the good thing is, is like the summer months are usually the longer ones. So once we get this D&D set, we have a while before Innistrad. Well, and I think it's also, this was because of some sort of event, like celebrating, like, something. Well, this was during the Modern Horizon stream. Which is why we got these, we got these super early, this is some sort of panel, where we got these super early spoilers. It should be, should be some time before actual spoiler season starts. I mean, we get the set in June. Wait, what? I'm pretty sure the set comes out next month, dude. It might be July. I might, I might be insane. Oh, July 16th. July 16th. Yeah, July 16th. So it's going to be a while. It's a month. And it's a bit over. It's almost two months. More than two months, actually, before this set comes out. That's the day my uh, my summer camp ends. Ooh, you know what I should do? I should... Uh, Celebrate it by cracking a box. Yeah. And and crack it open with the, with the kitties. Get some pre-release kits. Like, play, play magic with me, boys and girls. Except I get to take home the cards. <laughs> I paid for them. <laughs> you can keep the commons and, and some of the lands. I'm going to keep the uncommons, though, and the rares and the mythics. Those are mine. <laughs> Until you open your Darigast of the set, and you're like, you know what? The picture's cool. One of the kids can have it. I mean, I, I when I cracked uh, my packs of Time Star Remastered, because they were ridiculously hard to find, um, Adrian and I went hunting for them. Did I ever tell you about this? No. We went to, in one day, we went to about 12 different stores to find these f***ing packs. We, we, we were like, we're going to hit up this last Walmart, okay? It's the last place we were looking. And they had, in wedged in the bottom, because like, he has a bad back, so he can't like crouch down. So I'm, I'm crouched down looking through shit on the, these shelves. Nothing, 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 nothing to find. And then like wedged between like where they had deck boxes and stuff, were two like uh like draft like limited like packs where you get four i think no you get three uh draft packs in a, in a single thing and i was like oh hell yeah and i'm like let's do it like we got it and um adrian opened in his a um force of negation not force negation. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. That'd be crazy. Um, it's not even in the set. Uh, what's the zero mana one? This is an historic. Pact of negation? Pact of negation. Yeah, he opened that. And then uh, in our Chroma's uh, memorial. Ooh. And I was like, 
you bitch just got $50 worth of value in this goddamn thing. I open a, a Dreadhorde Arcanist and a Bedlam Reveler and a fucking uh, Flicker Wisp. And I was like, okay. Okay, fine. I mean, Arcanist and Reveler aren't bad hits. No, 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 they aren't. But I already ordered my fucking playset of Arcanist before that. <laughs> um, and then my packs before that, I got uh, three Jailer cards, the White Jailer, whatever. The uh, Palace Jailer. Yeah, I got three of those in other packs I got. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'm done. Legacy Stable. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I could play Death and Taxes. But um, I, I took all the bulk of that, and I was just like, it's in a drawer in my desk at work, in my class, and if kids are good, I'll just open the drawer, grab the top card, and give it to someone. <laughs> <laughs> like, I've already given away the Dreadhorde Arcanist, too, because I'm like, I already have my playset. It's like a $4 card here. Have fun. Enjoy it. But the good thing about me doing it preemptively, I don't have to do reminders out the door except for one very important reminder we love you we're happy to be back this week and uh this this cast would not be possible without you guys listening every week and uh you know you're the best we love you guys and nothing's gonna ever keep you down hopefully you come back and listen to us (laughs) next week like i said we love you and uh talk to you soon bye-bye bye-bye everyone